Hello and welcome back to Highway to Hoover, a production of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. I'm your host, Joe Healy, joined today by Chase Parham of Rebel Grove. We're going to do a little bit of an old Miss baseball post-mortem, I guess. Maybe a therapy session if you're an old Miss fan. Maybe uh, maybe that's the, the way to put it. But uh, a lot of stuff to get to with Ole Miss. Season did not go how any of us thought. I'll raise my hand, say myself included. I've been on Chase's podcast a couple times earlier this season, and I don't think either of us saw this coming, so a lot to, lot to suss out. But uh, before we do that, I have to let you know that this episode of Highway to Hoover and every episode of Highway to Hoover this season is brought to you by Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama, conveniently located, well, basically right there in the parking lot of the Hoover Met. Uh, we are looking forward to our live Highway to Hoover Monday, May 22nd, 7 p.m., Head on over to d1baseball.com for more information and to get your tickets. If your team is playing on that Tuesday of the SEC tournament, first of all, my condolences, because that's a stressful game to be in. Uh, but you can make the best of it by coming out to our live show Monday, May 22nd, 7 p.m. Say hi to, to Mark and I and uh, mingle with some other SEC baseball fans. Uh, Chase, I, I kind of anticipated, I, I knew at some point I'd like to have you on the podcast this season. I have to admit, I did not anticipate it would be under such circumstances, but thank you for joining us regardless. Yeah, you said postmortem. I think that potentially works. Obituary probably is yep. a is a relevant yep. term there because I've it's been and I mean we'll get into the actual team. Nobody cares about the the journalism side of things, but it's been interesting because all of my listeners and subscribers are saying, "Okay, what went wrong? Let's get into it. Let's start the ten part series on the twenty twenty three Rebels and how you fix it." And the season's not over yet. I mean, they have three games left. They're in Tuscaloosa over the course of the weekend. They canceled – well, Austin P canceled its midweek game with Ole Miss on Tuesday. So the home finale, home finale was actually over the weekend in a sweep to Auburn. And it's – I'll let you guide me through it as we go, but it, it's a pretty it's a pretty complicated thing. When you take a step back, Ole Miss had a lot of problems in a lot of different areas, some that – we didn't see probably because um, I was not as good at my job as I should have been. And some, I think because we just never expected this. You know, Mike Bianco's in his 23rd season, and he had never been worse than 13 and 17 in the SEC, and he'd only done that once. So it, they've obviously had issues in the past from one year to the next and who's returning and who's back. And he had always found a way to make it work. He found starting pitching. He found if he's different things to at least be SEC average. And if you're SEC average, you make the tournament. I mean, they don't miss the tournament very much. They've never missed Hoover until this year when it was beyond eight teams. The last time was in 2011 when it was still an eight-team tournament. And in 2011, they went into the last day of the regular season still with a chance to win the SEC West. They were in Fayetteville, and had they won a game, they wouldn't have won the West. Instead, they got swept in a doubleheader, and they missed Hoover completely. So that tells you how tight of a margin it was back there in in 2011. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those deals where I think we had our head in the sand in some ways. Um, but in some ways, you just sort of trusted the program with where it's been since he got there in 20, in 2001. And then maybe the thing that I'm writing about the most is we didn't know what this new SEC looks like. I think this is the first year. I think we're in a new era um, for a lot of different reasons in the SEC and college baseball. And, you know, every time you have one of these seasons, you have to learn from it. You have to figure out what happened to cause that. You know, Arkansas think they went seven and 23 or something in 2016 and they sort of answered some questions beyond that you know Mississippi State's done this in the past people have had these clunker of seasons so the question is what do you do to move forward and I think Ole Miss has several different ways where they do have to uh to get better at what they do as they move into uh 2024. It's interesting you bring up a new era in SEC and then also reference in that answer a year when, when Ole Miss could have won the West and instead ended up missing Hoover because I remember the overwrought discussion back in that day was could a team that didn't get to Hoover be an at-large mm -hmm. team? 
And ultimately there were examples of that, maybe just one example, but that did happen at some point. That was, I have to assume part of the impetus behind expanding the field, uh, of course, expanding the conference also was, was part of that. But I agree with you generally, by the way, just on an aside that, that it does feel like we are in a new era of sec baseball. And maybe that's me being a little myopic because this is my first season paying this type of close attention to it. Um, but just when you, when you look at, um, the, the difference in talent across the conference, when you compare it to some of these other teams that are mm-hmm. you know, looking to be host or at large teams, uh, w- when you have mostly at this point off the record conversations that I'm sure you've had as well about NIL stuff and like the things that programs are preparing to do, uh, in that space, it's kind of staggering. So I'm, I'm with you generally on, on that point. Um, I'll let you choose your own adventure, Chase. Would you rather me just ask you a really broad question and let you opine? Or would you prefer me ask some more targeted, specific questions and we will weave our way through this? Uh, Let's target specific and I'll go off general with that. I'll say this one thing, though, is for somebody who's listening is not an Ole Miss fan, is they see a very consistent program. They see a school that obviously won the national title and was this great story last year and whatnot. But you know, Mike Bianco, his tenure has been laced by what expectations should be. I'll start with this. I think this is a general overarching term. There are overarching story that matters. Is that it's what should Ole Miss's expectations be? They've got all these facilities. They have all this fan support. They pay a ton of money, but they have scholarship problems compared to most of the league. They have some different issues from those standpoints. It's, it's always sort of been what is this program? And Mike Bianco, for the majority of his more than two decades, has given both sides exactly what they need to gripe about something. Because prior to last season, they had been in the postseason every year. They never suck. They're always very, very competitive. He's won the SEC tournament. He's won the SEC. He's won the SEC West. But he'd only been to Omaha one time. And everybody quoted those stats and knew that before last season, he was 1-4-9 in games to reach the College World Series. That's how bad they've been at super in Super Regional since 2005. And I feel like in some ways we're doing this perverted same situation just in a different concept right now. Because you look at last season, through the seventh weekend of SEC play, they were 7-14. and 14. They were bad. They, they left Fayetteville, Arkansas 7-14. and 14. They swept Missouri. They swept LSU. They lose two out of three to Texas A&M. And everybody knows the story from there. They get hot. They go 10-1 in, uh, in, in the NCAA tournament, and they win the national title. Well – they just didn't get hot this year. They were much the same team with a lot of the same problems. Because you look at this, the two things they've done was they've been really bad through most of the SEC season two years in a row, and they've been, frankly, awful at home. This is a stat that, I mean, I said, I think I just finished my, or I'm finishing my 18th season covering Ole Miss baseball. And I don't remember, you know, Swayze is supposed to be a bit of a home field advantage. You've got the crowds and you have the people and you potentially can be – I think intimidating is overrated because I think fan, the opposing team almost gets hyped up by the environment. They enjoy it. They sort of feeds off of it. But Ole Miss in the SEC play the last two years is 8-22, and 22, Joe. 8-22 and 22 at home in SEC play the last two years. You just you, – you, you can't win like that. Um, they were 3-12 and 12 at home this year, and two of those wins were against Georgia. Um, so, yes, injuries are part of it. I'm sure you're going to ask me that. We'll go through that. But it, it, it's deeper than that in – it's what's so crazy and weird about this situation is it's a two-year problem, even though they have a national title in one of those two years. It's incredible. That, that stat, the 8-22 and 22 at home in SEC games, and I, I don't mean this disrespectfully to Missouri, but by comparison, I can off the top of my head know Missouri's <laughs> won at least seven this year at home. Swept Tennessee, swept Georgia, won a game against Vanderbilt. You know, um, that's mm-hmm. incredible. 
let's let's start here with with some of the specifics. Um, was the Hunter Elliott injury really that impactful, or was that a bit of a canary in the coal mine of hey, when Plan A is not in place for this team, the Plan B is not necessarily up to par. It, it, it's a really long question. So if I get to rambling or a long answer, if I get to rambling, you can hold me back in and try to k- k- get with the topic. It's a couple different things. Um, it's obviously a huge deal when you lose an ace. Hunter Elliott was by far the most established pitcher from a starter on Ole Miss's team coming into this season. And he also was one of only three players that had even pitched. I think that's an important deal here. As you look at them coming into this season and their only returners who had thrown more than 10 innings in a previous season, Hunter Elliott, Jack Doherty, and Mason Nichols. That was it. Everybody else was either somebody who had not pitched or was brand new. And I'll get to why I think that matters more in a second. But they have that go on. Josh Mallett gets hurt. He was going to be their closer. He at least had all SEC type potential coming off last season. He has Tommy John issues. They lost Riley Maddox in the middle of last season. It took him a year to come back. They're down him. Then they're down Elliott, too. So they're down a lot of arms. They're down arms at spots that it's not easy to just simply replace because, look, it's like anything else. When you take your Saturday guy and you make him the Friday guy, well, you're worse on two days. You're worse on Friday and Saturday. It's not simply one day that you are that you're worse when you have to do that. Um, you know, they thought Grayson Saunier was going to be one of the top freshmen in the country. It didn't pan out. He struggled throughout the year for a lot of different reasons, you know, and they had depth issues all throughout the bullpen. They simply didn't have enough. And it's something that I'll, I'll talk about here is that, yes, Elliott was a huge deal because if Helen Elliott's healthy and Hunter Elliott is an above average, semi-lead, whatever phrase you want to put on him, starter pitch, starting pitcher, Ole Miss doesn't go 6-21 and 21 as of right now. They're at least better than that because they're saving some of the bullpen. He can go six, seven innings occasionally. They're better on Saturday because Xavier Rebus gets to throw Saturday instead of Friday. And there's a trickle-down effect that 100% would have helped. But what's happened to Ole Miss was a couple things. And this is where I feel like it's a little bit of a longer answer. And it's why I think there's an SEC era change even beyond what you're talking about is that Ole Miss had bullpen issues because they had so many newcomers in high-leverage, high-stress situations, and they didn't really know what to do with any of them. You you took Jack Doherty off the back end of the bullpen. You made him a starter. Well, now you've hurt yourself again because you took who – it's probably your best Friday night guy at that moment, but you're killing your bullpen. Suddenly there's no experience back there. Everybody's new. Everybody's trying to figure out. And Ole Miss has a roster management problem. I'm not talking behind their back. I think Mike would admit this, where – you know, you look around the SEC and you look at Ole Miss in comparison, and Ole Miss has almost a complete pitching staff that is 92 to 94, and they throw a slider. And it's one guy to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. They had no left-handed reliever. Jackson Kimbrell was their best left-handed reliever, and he barely pitched. They were all right-handed. Hardly anyone threw a changeup. Hardly anyone threw a curveball. I mean, it was it was just identical. It would be like a starting five of a basketball team with nothing but six, seven fours. And you try to just figure it out with the same exact lineup at there every time. Well, what that does is it obviously does nothing to change up high levels and situations for the hitters. It also gives you no ability to play matchups because you have no one to play matchup with. Everybody you have is the same thing. Well, then you're also throwing a bunch of newcomers. And whether it's Rebus coming from Division II, who's was the University of uh, Indianapolis, Indianapolis transfer. You've got Sonia, JT Quinn is a true freshman who started a lot of games. You've got guys in the bullpen that are brand new. They're pitching into an SEC that is different for a lot of reasons. Number one, it's the most offensive I can ever remember the conference by far. You know, some of that is transfer portal. Some of that is COVID. You've got older hitters who just know how to hit. It's hard to sneak anything by them. 
they're just hard to pitch to in general. But here, Joe, I, I think this matters too. Umpires for the first time were graded in more real time with track math. And they got tighter. The zones got tighter. And they didn't just get tighter. They also took away, because umpires at the college level are not as good as pro umpires. That's not talking about anybody. It's just the truth. They didn't give the high strike the same way the major league umpire gives. So suddenly, if you're really tight left to right, and you're really tight up down, and you're not even giving that high strike the same way, well, suddenly you're being outmatched by the hitters, and you can't even use the entire strike zone. So a newcomer like a Grayson Saunier or a JT Quinn, they are used to, frankly, getting three to five inches off the plate. Some high school umps are going to give them a lot of stuff. Some summer umps are going to give them a lot of stuff. They can throw their fastballs by everybody. And then now they're coming into college where they have to throw it in a coffee can. They're facing high leverage pitch batters all the time. Every inning is a struggle in a lot of ways. You know, you look at it, starting pitchers in the SEC, their number of innings on average has been coming down the last few years. If you get five innings out of a starter, you've done a really, really nice job here in 2023. And I think it's even contributed to arm injuries because I think, you know, you look at like what's happened in Tennessee. Last year, because their offense was so good, they had less high-stress innings on their arms. They could just kind of pitch and they could let them hit the ball around and play defense. Well, when you play more high-stress innings, that means more breaking balls. That means more max effort pass balls. That means a lot of things that do stress you in a lot of different ways. And I think all those things, plus the adding element of a pitch clock, really hurt the newcomers. I think they didn't have time to settle, to take a breath. They're having to throw into the zones. And I think it was just chaotic for all the newcomers in the SEC in a way that has not been in the past. And Ole Miss was greatly affected by that, by their lack of depth and by their lack of experience. I think it, it snowballed on them because – Look, the injuries are a part of it. I'm curious what Mike Bianco says about it when I talk to him here in a couple of weeks and we do kind of the, the postmortem with him because it's very, very, very real. Um, don't get me wrong. But you work around the SEC and everybody had injuries. Joseph Gonzalez didn't pitch for Auburn. Auburn found a way to tread water. LSU has been, you know, just ravished by in injuries at this point outside of Paul Skeens. I mean, their, their league-only ERA, I saw Mark writing about it, was pathetic outside of, of Skeens inside the SEC and what they've been able to do. They still win games. You know, Alabama's been hit. Georgia's been hit. Everybody has arm injuries. So I think that more is just putting an impetus on finding bullpen workable depth, not an excuse that the season is over because of that. I think it's just where we are in SEC baseball right now, as bad as that is to say. So while it's definitely what happened, I think some of it is because of the way Ole Miss had its entire roster set up and managed that it had less ability to sustain those than other programs may have as you move forward. Because, look, here's the deal, too, and we'll get to this. When you're playing nothing but great offenses, you better have one of those great offenses, too, because you've got to be able to hit with those other teams. It's one of the things I said early this season about – I got asked, actually, about Mississippi State in this way, where it's like their offense was great from the jump, but their pitching was just – unmitigated disaster early in the season and has only gotten really marginally better since then. But I said, look, I mean, the offense is great. I agree, but great could just like recruiting rankings, right? Like great could be also like seventh in the sec or ninth yeah. in the sec. And that's kind of how I felt about offenses this year. And you walk me right up to the doorstep of it. I mean, I came away, I, I was down in Oxford the second week into the season and Maryland's pitching depth isn't great. I'll, I'll grant you, but still, I mean, they were clubbing the ball all over the yard, looked unstoppable. And I came back and I, I told Kendall and Aaron, I said, hey, th this lineup might be as good as LSU's if you, if you take out the Dylan Cruz mm -hmm. of it all, you know. I know. And, um, and I thought, you know, I, I felt pretty strong about that. And then it just wasn't that. I mean, the guys you expect to have good, have really good years have had, by and large, good years. Um, but what would you put on the fact that the offense feels a little underwhelming, generally speaking? 
That's a couple different things. I think one, and you saw this in 2022 prior to Dylan DeLucia and Hunter Elliott really taking their steps, is that when the pitching is bad, it puts so much pressure on the offense that they have to perform. They can't lose runners. They start freaking out. They start tightening up. So I think environmentally being bad at times defensively, fielding percentage is a crap stat in college baseball, at times bad defensively. And then also on the mound, it just puts so much pressure on them offensively. So I think that played a role. And then, you know, they, they hit bad pitching well. And I, I don't mean that as a negative the way it sounds, but they do. They run up a lot of non-conference stats. They they, 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 they handle fastballs from most non-conference teams. They didn't, they didn't get to Maryland as they kind of bashed through them, except for that opener that, that weekend. They beat Maryland up in, in Minnesota the next week. Um, you know, they ran through the Big Ten in all the different ways that you could do that because Ole Miss played nine games against Big Ten teams in the non-conference. So everybody kind of forgets that now because it's lost. Um, but overall, the issues that you thought might happen all happened. And I don't know what that means. I don't know how to necessarily analyze that. But you go through – you know, TJ McCants and Peyton Chatney, and I'm not necessarily picking on them and I'm pointing them out, is that outside of a pretty hot period last year when Ole Miss got so hot and won the national title and went on the run, they've been kind of average SEC hitters. And that's what they were this year, too. They didn't take those extra steps. You know, you've got, um, you know, you, you've got Peyton Chatney that I'm pretty sure this stat is correct. Through 18 conference games, he had four total bases, Jeff. I mean, think about that. Playing every single day. I mean, it's just completely not giving you anything in the lineup right there um, at second base. TJ uh, strikes out a lot. He um, he he does he is not necessarily a consistent player. Now, when he gets on a run, he can really run and he can ball the ballpark and he can hit doubles. But it doesn't necessarily happen all the time. And then I think that they had two guys who were good portal pickups, but guys who struggled transitioning to the SEC and Ethan Groff and Anthony Clarko. They weren't bad. They could really use Groff back next year. He's got a year of eligibility remaining. He plays an elite center field. He's just sort of overshadowed by Cruz and some of those other guys that play center field inside the conference. But overall, they struggled to hit SEC pitching day in, day out. There was just a transition that, ha- that that happens there that will be very interesting to see what Ole Miss can do portal moving forward. It was just a lineup that didn't do enough outside of those three guys. And it's what's probably scary for Ole Miss in a way because they struggled like they did also with the standpoint of having – semi or real all-league years offensively from Calvin Harris, Jacob Gonzalez, and Kip Alderman. I mean, Kip Alderman puts up one of the better seasons in, in program history from an offensive standpoint. All those guys are gone next year. So, you know, where are you What where are you getting? What are you doing? Some hard decisions that have to be made for Ole Miss on simply how many portal guys can you bring in? How much money in NIL do you have to do that? Do you use NIL potentially for a couple elite players knowing that you can't necessarily get the depth needed through the portal? Do you try to pay everybody a little bit and get more above average players and hope you hit on somebody like a new version of Colton Ledbetter or something like that? What is that supposed to look like as you move forward? I just think offensively they they had a lot of – they had some newcomers that it always takes a little time, and then they had some returners that played like they have without taking a step. I, I think that's sort of where it is. I mean, you look at just overall numbers and – you know, again, I think people got really excited, including me, from a standpoint of covering them and what to expect. But if you truly break it down analytically, I think Ole Miss had, was was prone to a season like this where they simply couldn't hit their way to wins. But, I mean, here, here's a stat for you. Ole Miss, over the last 10 conference games, scored more runs than Arkansas did offensively. It's just how bad their pitching was. Arkansas went 8-1 and one or 8-2 and two in those 10 games. Ole Miss went 2-8 and eight or, or whatever it is. They simply just – couldn't overcome what they were doing everywhere else. And they also don't walk. They're a very aggressive team. And if you look at it, it almost feels 
old school baseball ball a little bit because I get how many home runs the people are hitting in the league, but the teams that are scoring the most runs are the teams that are actually walking. Ole Miss gave up a ton of walks in the mound, and they're also not walking in the plate. They just got no free runners that allowed them to kind of continue and extend innings. You mentioned Kip Alderman's season, by the way, and I was telling somebody this the other day that if you'd have just showed me Kemp Alderman's season statistics out of context yeah. before the season, I'd have been like, oh, okay, so he's like the SEC player of the year, right? <laughs> and like, <laughs> like, it's been a great year, don't get me wrong, but it's just like yeah, he might yeah, not yeah. even be on the board in the end, like for a number well, of reasons. But Well, I mean, I'll be honest, like, I went through the SEC stats because I was like, okay, I, I do this thing on Fridays where I write kind of like five things for the weekend or whatever, and man, that got tough there toward the end. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that, but – I, I pulled up the SEC leaders and I thought, oh, Kemp's going to be all over them. And he's like seventh and ninth and 11th and one. I'm like, yeah, that was kind of a fizz out. That was not what I was expecting when I logged on there. Yeah. But it, it just incredibly, I mean, yeah, it's, it's truly been one of the, one of the bright spots, a kind of a fun, fun progression to watch. Um, so last season, I have to imagine there were a whole bunch of Mississippians saying, you know what? I, we could not win it. We, we, we could go. Oh, and 56 next year. And it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Cause we have this national title. And of course, even in the moment, you and I could say that ain't true. Like the first yeah, time this yeah. team gets swept in SEC play, like that's just human nature, right? That's not even a criticism. That's just life. So that being said, um, how was the fan base handled it? As you're saying, I mean, it's not complete meltdown um, by any stretch of the imagination, but it's bad. I mean, because look, they had a path on what this looks like for Mississippi State last year. State won the title the year before and was really bad at baseball last year, losing you know, what, nine in a row or something to finish the year or whatever it was um, in the SEC. So I, I think it's not necessarily that the fan base was losing their minds. I mean, the environment against Auburn last weekend was still pretty good. The fans showed up. It was a graduation weekend. It was all right. Now, Ole Miss also benefit, benefited greatly throughout the year from a lot of other events going on during home weekends. Um, they had Double Decker, the big art festival that's in town one weekend when they played Georgia. They had uh, Morgan Wallen did did a couple concerts the weekend they played LSU. There's just certain things that brought a lot of people in town for different things throughout the year. But overall, the crowds were okay. I don't know that it's necessarily freak-out mode about this season. It's become really spun forward of, hey, you can't be like State and it can't happen again next year, so how do you avoid that? I think everything was more of, hey, Mike has never had one of these, but at the same time, can he adjust and show that he can win and do what he's been doing in this era? Because, you know, I went through and I picked out like Arkansas in 16, a bunch of teams that had the one dog year and then how they rebounded or what they did moving forward and try to see what that looks like. But I don't know if that matters. I don't know if Ole Miss's history matters because you're procuring talent in such a different way that I don't know how to blend present and past together on predicting anything for Ole Miss because I mentioned it in the transfer portal. I mean, it's a huge deal on how much money Ole Miss gets from their collective, which is called the Grove Collective for baseball and how, what they can spend to bring transfers in. Um, it's a matter of needing a lot potentially. I mean, there's a world out there where Ole Miss loses nine of the, or eight of their nine offensive starters. Um, that's at least a possibility. Now I like Will Furness, Eddie Furness's kid was a freshman. I like him a lot. There's some guys on the roster I like, but they need a lot of help and they need it in multiple spots and they have to be ready. And then something else that, I think a lot of SEC teams are having to do more of today. And Mike's probably the one maybe in the league who has to do it the most. And it's, it's a compliment to him and his staff as, as men, as people. Um, But 
you're going to have to cut more fat in your high school classes. You just don't have room for development the same way you might have five years ago. You've got 35 men rosters or whatever it's going to now. I don't, I, I get mixed up on the rule changes, but it, it, it's whatever it is. And with the portal and the ability to just need so much depth throughout your roster, I don't know if you can bring in the player anymore, especially the offensive player who potentially needs two years to get ready to be able to play at the SEC level. They probably need to go somewhere else. I've seen a couple things this week. I ha- it's not sourced. I haven't talked to anybody. I don't know if that's what that was, but I think it's very possible they did gr- cut a couple high school kids or tell them to look elsewhere this week. I-, I think you're having to really change sort of how you put rosters together and you can't just sit on it and give people time. And look, it's it, it, it's pretty crappy because while we're not completely like the other sports yet in college baseball, there is still some little bit of gentleman's agreement there. It's trimming every day, but it's still there where a kid who committed as a freshman, you've almost kept him from being recruited by anybody else for three years. So when you cut him, you've sort of impeded his ability to go somewhere and to, to maximize what's possible for him. But at the same time, you're probably still doing doing him a favor because if he can't play in two years, you're going to cut him later. It's just you have no way with these rosters and the ability with the portal the way it is and getting other guys to to keep a bunch of developmental players on your roster, especially at a high major like an Arkansas or a state or Ole Miss or somewhere where you should have some portal money. You've obviously got a lot of name recognition and a lot of facilities and a lot of ways to attract talent. And then it's a matter of just hitting on it. I mean, you know, portal development is as key as anything because take Ethan Groff and Anthony Clarko, good players. Ethan Groff was hitting 400 at Tulane before he got hurt in 2022, and, and he shut it down with a hand injury. Clarko hit a bunch of home runs in the Big Ten. Um, you have to be very precise because even those guys, I don't know if that's good enough to fix what's the problem for next year. I mean, you really have to hit on a couple guys that can truly play at the SEC level. I mean, I think look at look at Arkansas. I think they're a great example of they they, they, they haven't gone no pun intended whole hog on. Yeah. The transfers in the way that some other programs have, um, but they. If, if I just assume now, if Arkansas takes a transfer, I'm like, well, that guy's going to start and he's going to be great. You know, it's Wagner. There's a certain like Tampa and, Devil raise to it, and like it's a little like, hey, bit. They've yeah. got him, so yeah, okay, sounds good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The Rays trade for a guy, and you're like, well, crap, that guy must actually be good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the same with our. Like they're just they're very good at targeting guys who fill a specific need and and so on and so forth, and so that that again walks me up to my question because I I look at this team and it's not, this team is not 2017 for Ole Miss, right? Where like 2017, they weren't very good, but it was like, but, but wait a minute, <laughs> like yeah, 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 just yeah. hold on. Cause they're on the way. Like, this is not that um, you've touched on a lot of the, the questions they have to answer, but do you have a sense of, of how that might go and what the general strategy might be? Um, I think the strategy in a couple different ways. I mean, look for Ole Miss to be, when I say competitive next year, I mean, at least in the host conversation, 17 and 13 in the SEC, I'm not saying 21 and nine, but just in it, um, where we're, we're having a different conversation this time next year. Some of it, so I'm talking about both sides of my mouth, because clearly they need more players. They have to go into the portal. They have to do that, but they need their freshman arms to develop into what they think they can be. They can't do it all with newcomers. If you look at this team, it's that Will Furness has got to take a step offensively. It's that Judd Udermark has got to get healthy. He hurt his shoulder against Georgia in a collision that actually won a game there to win that series against the Bulldogs. He needs to be good next season. They've got some young guys who need to take that normal freshman to sophomore progression that turns them into very, very good SEC hitters. But it's on the mound. The three guys that I really have sort of 
focused on is Grayson Saunier, obviously, because he hasn't forgotten how to pitch. I mean, he's going to go pitch somewhere this summer. I think it's still possible that he's an elite arm in the SEC before he's done. JT Quinn has good breaking ball stuff. He's been as high as 98 on velocity over the course of the year. He has the ability to pitch in the SEC, and he he was not that bad this season. He kept them in games on a Sunday multiple times. They never really won them, but they he, he, he did a pretty good job in a vacuum. And then in the bullpen, Sam DeCoyan, a guy that I really like, a freshman that I think can take a step there to help out. They probably don't get mallets back next year. Um, there is some mixture on what Hunter Elliott's health status is for next season. He just had Tommy John here recently, but he had the bridge procedure. Um, there's multiple orthopedics telling me that there is at least the potential for him to be back 100% in eight to 10 months. If that's the case, then he makes most of next season. Um, and, and if he looks okay, then Ole Miss would get a huge boon there from that. But they can't count on that. That's what's kind of fascinating about this from an Ole Miss standpoint is that they have to go into the portal not knowing Elliott's status, not knowing Matt Mallett's status as the closer coming back next season or not, and then also not knowing what four different high school guys are going to do in the draft that could really change the complexion from an incoming guy because they've got Cooper Pratt, one of the top players in the country, a shortstop from Mississippi, plays at Mag Heights. Um, if he shows up, he could very well play shortstop. He can really pick it. He can really defend. He could hit at the bottom of the order and do enough. He walks. He does some stuff for you. They've got Campbell Smithwick, a catcher from Oxford. He played for Team USA. I don't think he's going to catch every day, but I think he offensively could play for somewhere. He could be all over the field, kind of like Calvin as a freshman, where he bounced around and did some things for you offensively. And then they have two arms that are in the top 70 or something like that per perfect game, including uh, – youth who potentially is getting some first round buzz a little bit as well so not knowing what those guys are going to do but they need to get lucky there they need to get at least the two position players to campus in my opinion I think Cooper Pratt is a big key to what this thing looks like next season the way he could sort of map out map out the rest of the nine and then just get a lot of development and in the portal I don't think they're going to be LSU I don't think they're about to go spend whatever LSU spent for that roster they just put together this past season but can you be Florida? Can you get the money together to be sort of like what Florida did? You know, Florida kind of kept some of their guys out of the draft, put some NIL. They made sure they did different things because Ole Miss got caught flat-footed next year, last year from an NIL standpoint. And some of it's fair, some of it's not. You know, you go back and look at a season ago and who was really playing the NIL game, meaning very, very competitive in numbers that we were not expecting or anticipating. It was Tennessee, it was Arkansas to an extent, and it was LSU. That was about it. I mean, everybody else was throwing a little cash here and there, but they're really three, four schools that were doing it to that level. Well, Ole Miss, I don't know, in Florida, sorry, Florida as well. Um, I don't know that Ole Miss understood where that was going so quickly, so they did not do a lot of pre-work to be ready for that. And then once they were in Omaha for so long, well, kids were taking visits and making all those decisions while they were still playing baseball. And it's not an excuse, but – once you're already behind, you can only be further behind while you're still playing baseball and everybody else is not. Um, you know, if they had to do a season ago, Ole Miss lost Nick Pogue, the transfer from Florida, to a minor league contract. Well, if that happened this season, they would simply match that minor league contract and pay Nick Pogue a little money and keep him for college. That's what would happen. Ole Miss, Ole Miss or any other major SEC program would not lose that same kid in that same situation this year to a minor league signing. Um, it wouldn't happen. So I think in some ways they can get a lot of depth. And then the question for me is, can they go out there? Can they have enough to make that one or two big fish that doesn't look like LSU, but gives you a really nice addition that you can build a roster around? Because 
yeah, we're just no longer in the SEC of have a really good ace, have a Saturday guy who throws strikes, have a Sunday guy who keeps you in it, and then have a setup guy and a closer. Now you're talking, you know, you're talking nine, ten arms deep. And with, you know, I almost wonder, and maybe I'll ask you this because I'm, I'm rambling a little here. I don't know if even the ace is as important as it was because everybody's just, unless it's a Paul Skeens mutant type thing, everybody's just going five innings. So maybe you need more arms, not better arms. You just need guys who can get outs in the SEC and not walk anybody. You know, LSU right now would love three or four bullpen options that are just very serviceable versus maybe that extra starter who could just give you six innings every time. I totally agree. I mean, if you have a Skeens, great. Everybody would love to have one, but there's only so many of those. I think the quintessential SEC pitcher right now is Hagen Smith at Arkansas. Oh, and yeah. his walk rate's a little high, like if we're going to nitpick him, but he's swing and miss stuff, you know, fastball and slider. He can give you six on six or seven on a good day, um, but he's always going to get you four and he might walk some guys, but he's also going to strike some guys out. And, you know, it, it's, but it's big league stuff and, and projection. And so, I think you're onto something there where it's, yeah, it's let's, let's think about this almost not, you know, typically coaching staffs will tell you they build their pitching staff from the front to the back or from the back to the front. Now I don't think there is a front or a back. It's like a circle now, if that makes sense, where you just throw <laughs> as many arms as you can on the board. Uh, and there's no front and no back. Um, I, and I that's a huge change for Mike because Ole Miss has always been front to back. They've always had frontline starters and just figured out the rest. I mean, going back, two decades. I mean, they've seriously just tried to win on Friday nights and then figure it out the rest of the way. And when, you know, the league changes and you get your Friday night guy hurt, it's a, it's a, it's a glacier that suddenly pops its head up and starts looking for you. Well, Chase, I appreciate it. As always appreciate your insight. Nobody just for the listeners, the Ole Miss fans listening know this, but for those that are uh, SEC fans that don't follow Chase's work, Chase is as plugged in as anybody, not just on Ole Miss baseball, but has his finger on the pulse of a lot of the SEC. His work at Rebel Grove is is really, really good stuff. The Oxford Exxon podcast, I, I'll tell you what, I, I listen to it for the baseball stuff. I don't give two rips about <laughs> Ole Miss football or anything else, and yet I still find myself listening to it. Uh, he and Neil, do a, Neil McCready do a great job on that show. Hey, um, Joe, it, it, we're about 90, 90, 90 minutes a day. When you do that, you're going to hit a lot of topics right now with nothing going on. Ole Miss does not play a competitive sporting event until September, so got a lot yeah. of stuff going on right now. A lot of, a lot of Cubs baseball coming from Neil, yeah. I imagine. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, I forgot to say this up top, but if you're watching on video, you can see here I've got Chase's book, Resilient Rebels. Uh, get it basically anywhere books are sold, obviously Amazon and whatnot, but support your local independent bookstore. They'd be happy to, to order it for you. And if you're local, first of all, if you're local, you probably already have it. But uh, I popped into Square Books and there were a lot of prominently displayed Resilient Rebels at, uh, at Square Books. So if you're local or happen to be in Oxford, that's where I would recommend you pick it up. Um, Chase, I appreciate you joining us. I hope the Ole Miss fans listening maybe got something out of this and, and hope for brighter days ahead. Yeah, it's uh, it should be interesting in the offseason if nothing else. That's right. That's exactly right. If nothing else, like they were talking about in college basketball the other day, like maybe the portal's good for college basketball because we're talking about it. Maybe college baseball will be the be the same deal. At least it'll be interesting, uh, if nothing else. That, folks, will do it for this episode of Highway to Hoover, a presentation of SEC Extra at D1Baseball.com. Thanks to Brock's Gap Brewing Company for sponsoring this and every episode of Highway to Hoover this season. Go to D1Baseball.com for more information and for tickets to our live show Monday, May 22nd. Uh, thank you, of course, to Chase for joining me. Visit Rebel Grove. Support Chase's work. Support local beat writing. I say it on every one of these episodes. These local beat writers in the SEC do work that makes my job a lot easier, makes you a more informed fan. There's just a lot of on-the-ground reporting that I can't do for my home in North Carolina, so I greatly appreciate Chase and everyone else around the SEC. 
Thank you to listening and we'll talk to y'all soon.